Welcome to OBEHAVE, the behavioral science podcast from Ogilvy Consulting. One of the vital things about this is that, one, the problem with economics isn't just that it's wrong, it's that it's creatively incredibly limited. Behavioral science makes it permissible in a business or policy-making setting to suggest counterintuitive things. Yes. Hi, I'm Julia Stainforth. And I'm Mike Hughes. And we're the hosts of this podcast. On today's episode, Mike interviews Ruth Simmons, who has a special relationship with this podcast, as she's the CEO of Sound Lounge, the company you're all familiar with as the sponsor of this show and creator of our theme music. So, Mike, how did the interview go? Well, we always talk about how context is king. Very true. And uh, interesting, how can music create that context? Um, So we talk about the opportunities for brands um, in creating context and also as well, how do we make things more memorable in experiences? Brilliant. Let's give it a listen. Cool. So today we welcome Ruth Simmons, who is CEO of Sound Lounge. And Ruth is someone who has actually been part of Obehave for a while now, as you supplied the theme music you hear at the start of the podcast, Ruth. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. When you first started out, uh, Tara Austin came to me with Julia and said, we need a piece of music which represents change, and but the excitement of change, and uh, can you do it for me? So we went away and we did it. And the result is you obviously like it because you're still using it. Yeah, great. Well, that kind of, I suppose, leads on to where it might be interesting to start, I think, because the relationship between music and brands, I think, is really fascinating. Um, But for us, the psychology, how music can create contexts for brands in the right context that the brand wants to establish, but also contexts which the... Um, the consumer will make the decision in. So there's, there's a really kind of famous study that in a, if you play German music in a wine shop, you're more likely to buy German wine. And I think it's interesting just how music is... We don't use music a lot when we're trying to create context, but I, I just find it fascinating. I love the f- fact that uh, almost everybody quotes me the, the wine story. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the only music... It uh, is. Kind of study that's been yeah, well, there's there's lots going on now, but it's the most famous. So yeah, um, yeah it's it's pretty amusing that. But we've been saying for a long time, and you know, as agencies and as brands, that intuitively that you know that if I change a piece of music in the editing suite, I can change everything that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And so, but we've always been the poor relation. Um, often the music is chosen on the basis of what's left in the budget. And I understand that because uh, advertising's always been a visual um, uh, skill. Well, obviously a strategic skill, but it's it's changing because the consumer is smarter, yeah. has more choice, yeah. and can just basically turn you off. When And so the challenge that we have now is how do we engage the consumer quicker, faster, mm. deeper, than ever before, because if you can if you can engage them very very quickly, then you will hold on to them. And the the research is showing that the longer I stay with that commercial, the more I'm aware of the brand. If I'm more aware of the brand, I uh, learn more about what that brand is about. 
uh, I re there's more recall on that brand's name, and if there's more recall on that brand's name, there's more intent to purchase. And it goes up uh, within from, from two seconds to five, six seconds by 40%. Wow. Now that's a huge sum of, that's a huge percentage for people to ignore now. And yeah. I think that's why music supervision and the way that we choose music is changing and it's got to change it's got to be we've got to move with the data that we didn't have available 10 years ago or even five years ago and we've got to be looking at how we can use that data to create more context and more relevance to the people who are, who are watching so how has it changing because it, it seems like it's such an integral part but i don't think i've thought that much about it in terms of how does I think we all know that music will create a certain feel, um, but I suppose we've n I've never seen it as as being as much of an integral part of it is, but clearly it is. Well, it is now because mm. if I say the Gorilla ad, for example, the Cabris Gorilla, yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> and we watch that ad, it's eleven seconds, just over eleven seconds before we see the Gorilla, mm. but we hear the Phil Collins track immediately. Yeah. Now. <clears throat> Today, you'd watch it because that Phil Collins track is a very powerful track. It has a love mark on it of 47%, which is what the radio stations use yeah. for And 20% is the average. So when we hear that Phil Collins track, we n we're already in love with it. We're already curious. But we wouldn't get, in today's market, if it wasn't a great track, we wouldn't get to the gorilla because we've got four seconds to get out. Of course. And most of us click skip ad. Yeah. So it, the music's becoming a part of the commercial, which is now literally almost grabbing hold of the consumer and holding on to the consumer, and, you, and that's how music's got to be used. And of course, it's got to be used creatively as well, which makes that whole music supervision much more challenging. So it's, you know, and, and, and we're talking to markets that are very, very segmented, very targeted, programmatic advertising is going towards that. and. We will get to a point where you and I will be watching the same program and we'll watch the same commercial and there'll mm. be different music talking to us. Wow. And that's not too far away. Three years maybe. So, so would that be kind of on the information that the kind of the publisher has about me, you can go, well, this person reacts to this kind of stimulus in a different way. So therefore, they're much more likely to respond to this kind of music. Because it's interesting that how would that also align with what the kind of, what the, the brand says that the music should be? Okay, these are, these are very interesting friction points. Those two are not separate. They're not mutually mm. exclusive from each other. So the brand historically could tell me um, what make up that person chose, what colour nail polish they would wear, yeah. what kind of car, and all that is taken into account when we visually create a commercial. But we tended to ignore what the, that particular audience would be listening to or what would resonate with them. So we've recently done a piece of research which showed, uh, you know, the brand was very wedded to one piece of music, the agency were wedded to another piece of music, and they basically there was a, a standoff in the middle. Yeah. And so what we did was we took all the pieces of music uh, that they were using or being and considering, and there were 50 demos flying around somewhere, which is you know, a thousand pound a demo. Yeah, There's a yeah, huge yeah. amount of wastage yeah. going on here. And um, what we did was we tested them each of those tracks against the brand attributes. So each one in this particular instance was energetic and playful and and we asked 
uh, we got a sample of about 400 people. We had their buyers, their competitors, uh, locally, so was it Manchester, was it London, and we could literally filter the results according to where we were, mm -hmm. who was listening and what were they were listening to. And it, the results were just spectacular. They were so polarised in terms of what the brand thought worked and what the agency thought worked. Um, they were both right uh, and they were both wrong, but <laughs> it, it, it was, it, and that was good. Yeah. Um, so in this particular instance, what it enabled us to do is to look at exactly the moment when somebody said, I, am, I think this piece of music is playful on that particular piece of music and analyze what was going on in that moment in terms of the music, what was creating that stimulation. So it would, even down to sound effects. Wow. It, uh, it's, so in, it's interesting because I think a lot of the time when we make, you know, kind of creative decisions and sometimes it can be, you know, rightly so, it can be on a gut feeling, what do, do we think this works? For instance, the, the Gorilla advert is clearly a bold gut feeling mm. um, and it, you know, it was pretty amazing. Um, but what it sounds like we can start to do in music is almost like create like frameworks and codify and then when we when we see that it doesn't work we can say it doesn't work because of these reasons because yeah. it's not hitting attributes so are we almost creating like a like a new framework now i think yeah the answer to that is yes um i think the frameworks are not a restriction i think historically creatives thought the frameworks were a restriction uh, they don't seem to think that it's a restriction if they say you've got, you know, when they're giving uh, instructions in their manual as to who they should use in the commercial, what the casting should look like, where the, the, the recce should be, you know, the location and so on and so forth, how it should be shot. And so the f it's a framework. It's not an instruction. It's a framework. Mm -hmm. And what it will do is it will enable, it will give everybody some mental space because they'll know um, just like in the library, you go down to the library and you choose romantic historical novels, yeah. that's what you're looking for. And so instead of looking at 40 million tracks and you're going running around like a, a lunatic trying to find a track amongst 40 million, you're now probably looking in a, a well of maybe 20, 30,000, which still is a lot, yeah. but you know what it is that you're trying to find and that will make the whole process efficient. It will make, it, it's just clarifying, it's like, it's like I don't eat meat. When I go into a restaurant, I don't have to look at the fish mm. and, the, and anything else. Yeah, yeah. It's easier. I, yeah. it, I, I, I'm, I've chosen before anybody else, yeah. and I'm not unhappy with my choice, of providing the restaurant has got a good vegetarian menu. But yeah. it, it's that kind of thing, and it's about how do you, how do you create a framework which is flexible? Of course, because you, you, it needs to just be a bit of some rules for the road to make better decisions and to save time sometimes. Saves a lot of time and it, you know, it would help composers, it would help the production teams, it would help, helps everybody. If it, and then you can start to say, well, what is it about this? Oh yeah, uh, I can see that it's, we're, we're at the wrong beats per minute. This is what we normally use. Mm. So maybe the production needs to be speeded up or there was a, a key transition there that doesn't work for us. It's gone from a major to a minor. It, it worked, or there's no resolution in the, in yeah, the, the way it finishes yeah. at the yeah. end of the track. Yeah. There are a thousand different music terms, and I, I, I'm not a musician, so I, I learn as I go along, yeah. but these are the kind of po points of reference that I can pull out from the research, the type of research and analysis that we do. Because when, I suppose when a brand's choosing like a personality yeah. to spearhead a campaign, 
there'll be a few kind of criteria that it'll that will meet. But music, because it's such, you know, it's a much more primal. Does it resonate? Does it not resonate? And it's the the unsayable almost mm-hmm. of why something does resonate. Um, it's just interesting that there haven't been these kind of steps before. No, I haven't. And it's I think it's about time, and it's also about the. It's about attitude uh, and it's about money. And mm-hmm. I think when money is tight, people look to see how they can save money and how they can make it more efficient. And I'm, I'm really not advocating that we should be um, saving money on music. I'm actually saying we should be thinking about music as an investment as opposed to a cost. Yeah. And if once we make that switch and we realize what that music is doing for us, it's going to be much easier and it makes a creative's life much easier because then he knows that he can have somebody else record it who's famous or go mm-hmm. to because at the moment he doesn't know what he's got she doesn't know what she's allowed to do and what she's not allowed to do and literally they feel their way through it in the editing suite and we end up you know two days before play out trying to get rights cleared with a, a rights holder and that's not the, that's not a powerful negotiating place to be it's interesting because i think a, a really good example of a brand using music in a certain way is John Lewis because they create you've almost created their own kind of code in terms of taking like an old song reworking it in that kind of whispered vocal Uh, and then it becomes ownable for them Uh, how important is that I think it's actually very important Uh, you don't change the logo the visual logos every couple of years but we tend to change the music Mm. by which we are uh, kind of acting as a, a, a vocal call to action every single campaign and so and again I looked at that and thought why do we do that why do we be, I, and I, I think it's we do it because by the time we've seen it in the editing suite we've probably seen it about 500 times mm. and we assume that the consumer has seen it that we're bored with it we well, get bored of it before the consumer does before the consumer's even begun to even realise that you're using that piece of music yeah. and it's probably a minimum of two years so there are lots of brands who've owned a piece of music if you take McDonald's yeah. and you take Boots who let's hear it for the girls brilliant five years they used it uh, M&S knew exactly what M&S sound was like in terms well, Fleetwood, of Fleetwood is Fleetwood Mac they started with Fleetwood Mac, yeah. but they every time they did a new production, I mean, what uh, John Lewis are doing now, M&S were doing ten years ago. They did they t- took songs and matched them to a James Bond using Pink and, oh, and Shirley God. Bassey, yeah. and, and they they were clever. They used the seasons and what was going on around. So you, it wasn't actually just that sound. It was that you knew that Marks and Spencers were being very topical and mm. they, they were planning a- ahead. So it w- they became very strategic in the way yeah. that they use the music. So I-, I get very frustrated when people say, oh, so you want to use the same sound, the same piece of music every time, and you want to use the same sound. No, I don't. Mm. I actually really don't. And I think, but you have to think about, if you want somebody to recognise you by your sound, then you need to recognise that person by the way they sound, I same as a band. Yeah. You have to recognise the style in which they're working, so are they always lyrically driven? Uh, how can they moderate that by, do they do seasonal changes, do they do cultural changes um, for different territories? Yeah. And how do they know that they're right? And they know that they're right because now brands are starting to test the music before that terrible period in the editing suite. So they're finding out, does my consumer respond to that piece of music 
I think testing is really important. So how? So I suppose. Uh, so can you talk us through the kind of the testing process? The testing has, has been a bit touchy feely. Um, mm. We introduced what we called the beauty pageant about. 10 years ago and the idea was that we were going to take three songs that people couldn't decide about in the editing suite and test it overnight with a panel and yeah. we could start to do that once we started to get technology catch up with what we wanted to do you couldn't do it with the focus group it would take forever so but now we can actually test and see how people are responding by the second to that piece of music to that attribute that you want to test wow. and then we can look and the, the results are normally just a split second after they've heard it because they hear it, respond, and then they press the button. And so we can look at what's going on musically in exactly what is resonating. So in a particular thing that we were looking at before, um, for a, a client who was you know, at, indecided, let's put it, there was a tension going on about what they should be using, it was very clear that their target market did not respond to a male vocal and the whole thing was in a, as by a male vocal so it could be a, the song was fine but it was the male vocal did nobody unless it was grandparents wow. in london wow <laughs> and it was the grandfather yeah, yeah and so we can get that specific and wow. when you understand that you start to build that kind of framework and that for me is such a huge step forward and it will be easier to produce music buy music arrange music refresh music because you're starting f with something that you know works. Mm. And in terms of the testing, is it kind of responding to it by kind of clicking on the screen, or is it kind of is it at the neuro like neural level yet? Or it's at the moment it's still very much. I see it. I respond to it. Yeah. I feel it. I click. Yeah, yeah. Um, we haven't wired anybody up yet, but that's going on. In I know that is going on in some of the universities. Yeah. So uh, where they're doing, you know. Um, how much like almost like a lie detector and they're looking at whether people sweating or their heart rate is yeah. going up that's a much more sophisticated level of testing but if a brand is looking just to kind of start this process I would definitely recommend that they start to research at a different level the really interesting area I think is how this fits in with jingles because uh, jingles are kind of like, like yeah you're like a bit of a dirty <laughs> they were, word now but they're like. brilliant yeah they stay because the other thing that we found is if you say what it is that you want the consumer to understand the consumer understands yeah and so a jingle actually was a very crass way of saying you know a finger of fudge is just enough to give your kids a treat now that was when from my childhood yeah and i still can sing that we can still remember that because we uh when we are kind of like writing messaging and stuff like that, uh, one of the, there's a lot of research around like rhyme is reason. So essentially, if it rhymes, people will just remember it more. Yeah. And it feels like a bit of an untapped air, like untapped area now. So you have kind of maybe kind of like visual iconography. I don't know what the visual version of an iconography is. Like the kind of McDonald's whistle, mm. the go compare. But um, but jingles are fascinating, I think. I think jingles are very fascinating, and, they're, they're, and you're absolutely right. If you're trying to teach a child something, like the alphabet or course, numbers, yeah, yeah. you teach it into the rhyme. Yeah. And so if we go back to how people learn and retain, uh, you're absolutely right. You're saying that rhyme. So again, with the lyrics, should you be looking for songs that are very rhythmical in the lyrics? Yeah. You know, and, and I think what's happened is 
we move towards the whole the big production. The everybody, every film director, advertising film director, almost wanted to be a Ridley Scott and produce the wonderful 60-second commercial. Of course, yeah. And yeah. so I think we've moved towards producing a commercial which is like, whoa. The big question at the end of the day is, did it sell product? Mm. If I was a brand, I'd ask, did it sell product? If it didn't sell product, if you couldn't see a peak or a spike, then ask yourself why. And the music sometimes is too big for the visual. Mm. It's a great piece of music, but it's too big. Does it happen sometimes where there's just too much going on yeah. as well? Absolutely. So, it, so it fits a wider brief, but actually when you when you play it underneath, above the visuals, it, it's just a, uh, whoa. It's, and we've had that happen as well where they had an original composition written, they tested it, it was absolutely amazing, it ticked all the research boxes. Somebody in the editing suite changed the piece of music for whatever that reason was, nobody ever asked why. Yeah. Um, they all ran around getting these demos in, they, they recorded it. It went out, six months later they did post-production testing. Nothing was working on the new piece of music, nothing. Wow. And so uh, this particular brand I've been having this conversation with for a long time and they said, is it the music? I said, well, have you changed anything else? You know, was there anything else going on in, the, you know, in terms of your media spend and where you were placing your commercials, anything else? No, it was as planned. So let's test it. Meanwhile, the agency came back with this massive track, mm. which would have ticked the normal Millwood Brown sort of a criteria. Yeah. Do you like it? Do you remember it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course they like it and they remember it. It was a massive great artist, yeah. but it was $900,000 worth of music, <laughs> which was going to solve this problem. Yeah. And so the question was, were they going to do that? Did they have the money? They would have found the money because they just spent seven and a half million euros on buying media time, which did diddly squat. So yeah. I mean, this one decision in the editing suite had a massive dominoes effect. And exactly as you said, we, when we tested that piece of music against the original composition, the consumer hadn't got a clue what was going on. Yeah. There was too much going on in the lyric, too much association with the artist, too much association of that piece of music from a film, too, just too much, too much, too much. And the consumer was like, oh, is there a product in here? Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's what, that box, and I think that, that box has always bothered me, you know, do you like it, do you remember it? Has, it's important, but it's not what makes people remember the commercial. I don't want you to remember the music, I want you to remember the brand. That's interesting. I, and so what are the, because the, I think the, the psychology why we remember things or why things resonate, obviously why things resonate is subjective, but we would say if you, if you make it salient enough. So we've, of the four adverts that you see in the middle of Coronation Street, the, just the one that sticks out enough, you know, the X in a series of rows, is enough that you remember. And the mere exposure effect of just remembering something. And I wonder, is, is how do you kind of work that in, that it, that it is right, it works, but actually no one remembered it. it. It didn't actually work in what the kind of overarching aim was. I think consumer research around sound is very different to consumer research around visuals. Mm. And I think we have to be much more diligent and much more probing as to what's going on. I mean, I said that, as you said earlier, there's a lot of work going on with the neuroscience. We yeah. really will have to start looking at how that applies. We really need to be talking to specific target markets. And again, the music industry has been creating things that they, they understand target markets. And before, 
you know, Spotify now have data on us, which is extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, we work a lot with Spotify to, to look at how that data is relevant to our clients. So, you know, they can tell you, they know which songs are the songs you need to hear when you go to a concert. And if you don't hear those songs from that artist, you'll walk away dissatisfied. Apparently Metallica chose their set list on the latest tour from what was played most on Spotify. Why, why wouldn't they? Mm. Why wouldn't they? They could even tell it on Spotify whether you're listening to something else while you're watching the concert. <laughs> <laughs> that can't have been the greatest gig, but yeah, I kind of get it. Well, maybe the sound wasn't very good, so yeah. you just put in your headphones and watch the gig. Yeah, you kind of watch them perform, but you listen to another band, or they're not playing the music you want them to play. So I think I think Metallica was a it was a very smart thing to do. It, it was an informed decision as opposed to a subjective decision. There's a part of me that doesn't like the fact that the Spotify algorithms know me so well. Because you just think, you don't know my taste. And then when they do those daily playlists, I'm like, horrible. you've got it bang on. Yeah, sometimes they've got it bang on. Sometimes you think, really? <laughs> Which no, is, no, that was my, my neighbour you were listening to. Yeah, <laughs> someone, someone must have just uh, pinched me um, phone and listened to Taylor Swift while I wasn't here. Um, <laughs> it's interesting as well, because I think kind of when, just in terms of the memorability things, because it, it seems like the brands that have done it well, because it's interesting that you can almost have a conversation with music. So, like the McDonald's whistle seems like you know you could just hear that and you would know what it is. Mm -hmm. So that translates to radio a lot easier than yep. Um, and with the go compare or the um, yeah, probably go compare is the best example where you could just hear the incidental music and you would know it was that brand. How much do brands invest in that side? I think Go Compare is a brilliant example because it's been going, I don't know how long the ad's been going, it's longer than five years. Yeah. And so there's the example of owning the piece of music and yeah. the space and keep telling them this is, this is me, this is me, this is me. Yeah. And when you match it with those brilliant visuals, uh, you've got humor as well. So those humor and music and visuals is the perfect combination to engage people because mm. it's just the curiosity. Where's he going now? I mean, they just p keep pushing the envelope. But if you take the Sonic logo for Intel, people are always quoting to me, you know, I want a Sonic logo that's like Intel. Yeah, but it took Intel. I think somebody was listening to a logo every five minutes, once every five minutes in the world. It, it took them five years before and they just kept pushing it. Now, most brands aren't prepared to go that distance of, of keep telling me, keep telling me. Because mm. I'm, I'm so elusive now that unless I, you catch me in that moment and I hear it, so we go back to the editing suite where I've seen it 500 times, I haven't, I haven't heard it, I haven't made that link yet. Yeah. And so I think, again, it's important when you're investing in a piece of music, and, and I, I would say if that's the direction somebody wants to go and they've committed to a particular piece of music that is researching well for them, fits their framework, the agency are happy with that they can, they've got that flexibility in, in terms of creativity that they can work for them, mm. to keep test, test it. Yeah. And test it and tweak it and test it and tweak it. And I think it looks like an expense, but it's in comparison to buying media time and wasting that money, it's nothing, it's a drop in the ocean. 
Because I think, so Intel rode that really hard, didn't they? Because they used to, whenever anyone mentioned it in an advert, just during the middle of the advert, they would play the kind of, the, mm. the little jingle. Yeah. Um, and do you think it, do you think those things help in, because I suppose with, with a lot of adverts now, the kind of, the multi-region, aren't they? So the kind of, the going across regions. So you can't be as contextually relevant mm. in some. So like Levi's, like quite a famous example, I suppose, they were using the old um, 50s music, which were, you know, they were selling yeah. America in the UK, which yeah. kind of, which worked very much. How does that work in terms of still making music relevant, but clearly if you've got a big kind of car campaign, and it's going to go across the whole of Europe, then does the music sometimes become a bit anodyne and just mean nothing? There are, if you, if you compare a lot of the car commercials or the technical commercials, so you're going for product sectors, mm. you can start to see trends where people are, are kind of, they think because it's technical, it's got to be technical sounds. Yeah, and sometimes course, yeah. it might need to be the complete opposite to that. So, I, yeah, it's... There's no one rule, and I think every brand has got to address this for themselves mm. and find find their way of dressing. You know, it's like going into one of the big stores and uh, giving somebody carte blanche to buy what they want yeah. uh, with a certain budget, and they'll, uh, somebody will come out with a different look to you know A and B would come out with a different look, mm. and that I mean that's also one of the things that I say is once we start to get the palette, the framework. If I were to give an artist five colours to work from and say I want you to paint me this and I gave it to another artist or ten artists they'd come up with something completely different yeah. and if I did the same with a musician and I said look it's got to be in the key of G and it's got to be 120 beats per minute and I want it piano and I, there'll be ten artists that will come up with a completely different song yeah. and so but it's all that brand sound because those are the key points that resonate with your target market and used in these sequences. So I don't think we've ever taken that approach and allowed the musicians that kind of um, space in which to work with a proper brief. You know, I want it to sound more purple is not a proper <laughs> brief. <laughs> just needs to pop a bit more. Yeah, just needs to pop. I mean, what, I, I mean sometimes we sit, and sit in the office and we're like, no, they didn't really <laughs> just say that. And I think it's just because we just don't have the language. If we don't have the language, we have to give people the language. Yeah. And the people who give them the language will be the musicians, but the musicians will give them in time frames and course, codes. Yeah. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be very simple language that, you know, from the post person, and this is not meant to be patronising because they're probably a brilliant musician, yeah. to the CEO. And it wouldn't matter who gave that brief. That brief is the same. The creative aspect and the creative direction on that brief is something completely different. I think it's, it's interesting because there's two things like resonating with kind of audiences and then making it memorable. And I suppose we would argue that the two are very linked. Is there any kind of, so testing at the time, very much responding to what they're hearing in the moment, mm. but is there any kind of like kind of post do you do you if we played that music again would you associate it with certain things kind of way down the line does any of that testing go on or is that important it does it, 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 we've, we've done blind testing where they've played the track uh, and not told the person who who it's for mm. and um, one particular track 
you know, we just sort of gave them a whole sort of industry sectors to choose from. And because you were, they actually had the word in the song, there was like a 40-50% connection, which is pretty high yeah. to that particular, and then they were, I think it's that particular brand. Yeah. Some of them got a bit waylaid and were looking at travel companies and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. journeys. Yeah. And yeah. <coughs> so, yeah, it, it's, it, look, the music's not the on, only answer. It's, mm. it's a very big part of the answer now, and it's a bigger part than it ever was, even when Levi's were using the music from the 50s, yeah. because that was a formula. I knew if I heard a 50s piece of music, it was going to be Levi's, and then John Hegarty changed it, and we went, we got Flat Eric. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But they were bold. He made bold statements, and most people, if you're going to make change, make a bold change. But then once you've made that change, stay with it, because mm. people don't, you've got to give people the chance to hear you. And speaking of which, how does that tap into now where maybe a lot of people are consuming like adverts but they're doing it without sound so online how's that affected does that mean that kind of the budgets have gone down or the music so when we were talking uh, at the top we, we were saying about how music can create a context mm. and so what are we kind of missing out there that sometimes the call to action I think if you've got people who've got if they're listening they've got headphones on mm. and if they've got headphones on and even if they're going to switch you off as I said right at the very beginning we've got three four seconds to connect with them I could play you a hundred intros or middle eights and you may not know the band but you'll say yeah I know it and that is if we can get to that point with, mm. a, with a brand and that needs to be at the beginning most people put their sonic logo right at the end how's that work yeah uh, I'm, I might not be with you for 30 seconds I might only be with you for two. Tell me who you are right at the very beginning of that commercial. That's really interesting. Is there any examples where kind of that's happened, where like kind of brands start to put stuff at the front? Boots did it with Hear It For The Girls, but then they dropped yeah. it. So and they, this was about five years ago, and I thought, that's bloody genius. Mm. And then they stopped, and then they dropped the song. You know, people don't realize, a lot of brands don't realize they're creating what I call music equity in a, for, the, for themselves. And so the best example I've got of that is British Airways use LACME, uh, course, yeah. a flower duet, for years. Okay, Saatchi and Saatchi did it, brilliant. Heard the music, I was like a Pavlov's dog. Mm. I knew it was British Airways, like many people. It changed agencies, as is the want of an agency, mm. is they want to change the creativity. Yeah. Went over to BBH, and BBH changed it, and not many people will remember this story, but. I do because I was in the middle of the testing of it and they changed the music to John Denver's leaving on a jet plane which was okay leaving I'm leaving on a jet plane for British Airways but don't know when I'll be back again which is the next line in the lyric yeah it's not great for an airline and John Denver died in an air crash so oh, of course. <laughs> they yeah. did a re-record of it yeah um, but in the period when they dropped that piece of music you had another airline company called Silverjet which was like a business class only mm. picked that piece of music up and Full Galaxy picked it up to show their seats and the comfort which is what British Airways was all about yeah 
again, British Airways came and said, well, you know, what's going on here? This is, mm. this is our music. Should we have dropped it? And quite frankly, the research showed absolutely not. It, it was absolutely belonged to, to British Airways. But they didn't realise the amount of equity and the amount of commitment and the amount of loyalty to that track and, and the, the Pavlovian response that we had to that track. Of course, they still use it, but they're much more selective. Because it, I was on a British Airways flight the other day, and have they, have they brought it back now? Or you hear it yeah. on, in flight. So, and it's interesting because actually, that's just a, um, a way that where it's used elsewhere, you start to create subconscious connections, don't you? Mm. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, I just I said the whole, for me, the whole subject of music, not, I mean, don't have me as a, on your pop quiz because mm. I can't answer those questions. Yeah. Ask me why something's working or how we can find yeah. out. I'll be great. <laughs> Brilliant. Is and because I suppose for people listening to this who kind of who choose music or maybe haven't thought about it before, what's the best way to brief? Like, because that's that's because the way that you brief might yeah. define the outcome. So, what what's the best way for people to start to think about this stuff? Well, I mean, I, I think they have to work towards a style guide, a yeah. sound guide, yeah. a framework which is what you said in the beginning, yeah. and they have to understand what they've done before, how it's worked for them, what's worked for them. And that can be done with the, the planners and the results. They've got the results of those commercials, and we should be talking way back when the commercial was being planned. When, as soon as they start to talk music or start to talk a campaign brief, music should be sitting there, and there should be a music supervisor, but more a music strategist at that stage sitting talking with the planners what's possible what's not possible can i get elton john for this would he would he allow this would yeah. would um, arctic monkeys be the f would i could i and so where does all the pr start to fit together yeah. and can i afford it you know no point in building a campaign around a song that everybody loves and then they can't have it so it's all the strategic feasibility questions so it's for me it's about understand who you are build your framework Start it on. Uh, start early in the in the, the planning. Keep that music strategist working. The music supervisor, i.e., the person who's choosing the music. There's lots of people out there who've got this these brilliant eclectic minds. Give them a proper brief. Give them a brief that says this piece of music needs to do this. It, yeah. And I said before, it, we find that if you do this kind of key transition, this is this is the sound of this brand. This is if, if The Who went into another studio yeah. and, and you said to the, the Who's producer, I want my band to sound like The Who, he'd know exactly what he had to do. Of course, yeah. And that's what we have to be working towards. We need to be working towards somebody who understands what the ultimate sound should be. Not the same song, not the same piece of music all the time, but what your sound should mm -hmm. be. Fascinating, right? Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Ruth. Pleasure. It's been amazing. Should we go and listen to my Spotify algorithms and yeah. see what they throw up? Let's <laughs> see if you've got Taylor Swift on there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Brilliant. Thank you very much. You're thank welcome. You. You're so welcome. So it was great to finally get Ruth on the pod. Yes, I could have talked about jingles and Taylor Swift all afternoon, I think. <laughs> As always. Um, I forgot to ask uh, Ruth one question, so maybe there needs to be a part two. But... Um, I am very interested in the psychological phenomenon known as costly signaling at the moment. Oh. Um, so 
the it isn't kind of what we say, but the signals in how we say those things. And when we, I think we talked about kind of buying expensive music, and sometimes that's enough because it's just a costly signal, isn't it? If you buy mm. a Dell for your brand, it's just quite costly, isn't it? So people go should trust them more because they can afford a Dell. That's interesting. Mm. Nice. Uh, part two, listeners coming up very soon. That's right. All right, in the meantime, uh, you can follow Ruth on Twitter at Sound Equity, and you can follow us at Ogilvy Consult UK. And of course, check out our blog, obehave.tumblr.com, where we post regularly on a variety of behavioral science topics, most recently a behavioral analysis of the U.S. midterm ads. Wow. Finally, we'd like to thank that Sound Lounge and Julian Goodkind for managing the music origination and production for this show. Thanks for listening. Thank you.